Alrighty. May it be your will, Adonai, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh that is Tahor, and not regarding something that is Tahor that it is Tameh. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law and us rejoice over them. For Adonai grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wondrous things from your Torah. Amen. Amen. All right. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about why the Middle East matters to you. And I want to highlight that last little bit there because obviously um, I find the whole region, news, Israel, totally fascinating and really cool. But um, it's more than just being kind of cool. And the reason is because, believe it or not, the Middle East actually affects your life. Um, it's not just about loving Israel. I love Israel. I think it's great. And if you've ever eaten falafel, falafel is amazing. But that's not the only reason to, uh, to be curious. There's the other reason. That is the other one. Much better reason. If you, um, some of you guys have been learning Hebrew, and thanks to Mr. Wright, most of you should know at least the alphabet. So, um, but that's not the only reason to be curious about things happening over there. And the reason is because the stuff happening all the way to the end of the planet is actually affecting your life right now, whether you know it or not. Um, and if you don't realize it, you're, these things that are happening over in the Middle East should actually be affecting your life even more than they already are. They're already having an effect on you, but if you knew more about it, you'd realize just how valuable the knowledge is even more so. So this is how much you care right now, like that. That's how much you should be caring tomorrow. All right, the first reason, and this is kind of fun, near and dear to all of your hips should be your wallet. And in this case, one of the things about the Middle East is that the United States gives an enormous amount of money to a plethora of countries throughout the Middle East. And I'm not just talking about money for oil. For example, did you know that we have given unbelievable millions of dollars over the last uh, 30-something years to Egypt? Um, that was essentially, we bought their peace deal with Israel, told the Israelis, we'll give you some money, told the Egyptians, we'll give you some money. <laughs> it's amazing what money can do. So we've helped them out. We also actually sent uh, arms and, to a certain degree, troops through NATO to go work in Libya. That costs money. Oh, by the way, Afghanistan. You think we think about the war in Afghanistan. Let's walk back a whole lot farther back. Back way back in the day when the Soviets were fighting in Afghanistan, we were sending money to what ended up being Al-Qaeda. That, yeah, oops. Well, I kind of worked at the time, not so good in the long-term investment. Yeah, it, does, it really doesn't sound very good. The good news was it did kind of help us win the Cold War, but yeah, we kind of paid for it literally later. Um, but by the way, while you're talking about all the stuff that happened in the past, do you know currently about Syria? Currently there's a civil war in Syria. It's been going on for two years. The government there is particularly nasty, and all the rebels are people that we kind of like a little bit more, but we're not really sure. Some of them are terrorists, some of them are, you know, uh, peace-loving Westernites, and some of them are, well, who knows what. But regardless of who or what they are and what you think about them, the United States has given, or is planning to give, $500 million to the Syrians. Over $100 million is giving non-lethal assistance to the rebels fighting the regime. The rest is humanitarian aid. Um, and I think they have plans for even more. Now, the pie chart there is not to scale. The point is, do you know what else? the U.S. government spending your money on? That's your money. Let's talk about your government. Who here lives in the United States? Okay, good. That's everyone in the room. That's what I thought. Is that mentally or physically? Ah, right, right, right. Well, 
And, and who, who still wants to live in the United States? No, um, uh, we'll talk secession next week. Um, uh, no, the, your government, though, is doing quite a bit. Um, if you live in the U.S., the people you voted into office have quite a bit of power, particularly the presidency, which sets a whole lot of things like ambassadors and foreign policy, etc. The United States at the United Nations is particularly important. Uh, we're one of the only countries in the entire world that has veto power on the Security Council. The Security Council at the UN is the most powerful body. It's pretty much the main one. They can set sanctions. They can effectively declare international wars, more or less. Um, it's the most important group at the UN. The US has veto power. Sometimes um, that can actually be very good. For example, there was a bill uh, several years ago to penalize the Israelis, or at least condemn them, critique them quite heavily, for um, building on their territory in Judea and Samaria, quote-unquote settlements, and the U.S. actually vetoed it. Um, believe it or not, that was under the Obama administration. Surprise. But um, that's just one thing. The U.S. also played a big role in helping to quash the efforts of the Palestinians to try and get statehood recognition at the U.N. So the United States, your government is affecting the world quite powerfully at the UN. Iran, very important. There are uh, currently six countries that are representing the world and, uh, versus Iran over their nuclear program. I'll get more on that in a minute. Um, the point is, the United States is one of the most important ones in that group, and they are currently the, one of the main point people, kind of helping to talk about, along with Europe especially, um, sort of what the West's approach is to Iran's nuclear program and how to convince them to stop trying to build the bomb. Uh, diplomatic pressure. We have good diplomatic pressure. Sometimes, for example, uh, I mentioned the United Nations issue. The uh, American government did a very good job at trying to realize we're going to have a lot of problems if the Palestinians create too much havoc for Israel. So the uh, United States put pressure on other countries to keep them from giving the Palestinians a state, essentially, um, unilaterally without any agreement. I think it's amazing, personally. I, I've never heard of that. You, you, can, you don't actually own the territory, but you can claim it. That's kind of cool. I, I'd like to say that I'd like this house to be the state of... Anyway. Um, the, um, uh, the flip side, though, and the bad thing is, sometimes uh, your government is doing very bad things uh, in the Middle East. Um, for example, just recently, the United States government, and Barack Obama in particular, wanted to try and see Turkey and Israel get along a little, a little more along work together a bit more, um, and so they basically twisted, according to some people's perspectives, twisted Israelis, Israel's arm to apologize for acting in self-defense several years ago when some Israeli commandos um, killed some Turkish activists who were actually attacking them. So the Israelis were defending themselves um, as part of an effort to try and uh, defend their blockade of Gaza, trying to keep things from getting to the terrorists there. The Turks, uh, Turkish activists... Um, got nasty, the Israelis killed a handful of them, the Turks got really mad, and basically cut off ties. It, America wasn't very happy about having their two main allies not talking to each other. So more recently, the Americans kind of, you know, twisted the Israelis' arm just a little bit to get them to apologize for something they didn't do uh, in order to try and get the two guys talking again. Um, so that's not so nice. Also, we have the issue of the Palestinians comes up all the time. The Americans have... Um, in the past, even under the original George Bush administration, uh, threatened to use uh, financial aid to the Israelis, or loans, I believe specifically, um, as sort of like a pressure to get them to compromise with the Palestinians. Um, the United States also is believed to, if not have been pressuring them, certainly they were um, supportive of the efforts to withdraw from Gaza, which has simply built a terrorist hub right on Israel's south border. Um, 
I hope that none of this is like way over your head. If you have a question, raise your hand right now. I've been living this for years, and if I say something, any particular event that you go, I didn't know that. First off, I'm the guy you want to ask. And secondly, now is a really good time. Um, so that's some of the things that your government is currently doing. Um, and it's important to know some of that, especially when you talk about voting. I mean, I know foreign policy is probably pretty low on a lot of your totem poles um, when you're picking who to vote for president or whatever else. But keep in mind that the person who is at the head of the country has quite a bit of power all over the world. That's not even talking about war. Um, builds governments. For example, the United States uh, has helped to rebuild Iraq after the war there. They have also um, been influential in uh, quite a number of efforts with humanitarian aid. They work with uh, the Palestinians to help them develop their security system and other types of things like that. They do quite a bit there. They also tear governments down, not just through wars. Um, they they back the, the rebels in Egypt, which toppled the dictatorship there. They back the rebels in Libya, which toppled the dictatorship there. And as we already saw, they're currently sending money to the rebels in Syria. So the United States' fingers are all over the Middle East. They're doing tons of stuff. And that's a good point to think about like the impact of the things we talked about. Earlier we discussed sending money to Afghanistan because they were fighting the Russians. Well, that was good, but then the people we sent money to ended up turning into Al-Qaeda. That was bad. So, like, essentially, when you think about the things that the United States is doing, they're constantly in a bit of a, a guessing game and a bit of a balancing act to try and figure out, okay, well, these people do chop off people's hands for stealing things, but they also have oil, so you know, we won't be too nasty to them. Okay, but these people, okay, well, technically they have ties to terrorists, but they're not as bad as the people they're fighting. So, you know, it's like back and forth, up and down all the time. Um, and so knowing something about some of the issues can be helpful. Uh, in addition, while you may think about the presidency as sort of untouchable except every four years, uh, keep in mind that your congressional representative also has a, a lot of power here. Um, the United States Congress controls the purse. So the money that we talked about earlier... That's being handled by things in Congress. For example, a congressman from Florida recently has said that they want to only send money to the Egyptians if the Egyptians clean up their human rights record, which is a bit of a mess right now. Um, they're kind of being led by a Muslim, well, quasi-dictator at the moment. And the congressperson was saying, hey, if we're going to give them millions and millions of dollars, we should at least expect them to treat their people something similar to the way that we do ours, uh, particularly in things like freedom of press and freedom of religion. So those are some things to think about with the people that you have in office. Um, another point about the Middle East, it's a big deal, is your safety. Um, who here has watched any of the news or read any of the news about Iran? Something? Not all of you? That's okay, because um, Iran is uh, on the other side of the planet. But it actually matters a lot to you. Um, the reason is because the Iranians uh, right now are working on nuclear power, quote-unquote. Now, the cool part about nuclear uh, capacity is that it can run entire cities with one little plant. The bad thing is the same technology can be used to develop nuclear weapons. The thing is, it just takes a little more effort. Um, in a nutshell, when you're building nuclear fuel, you have to get uranium to a certain point to make it do big things, right? So if you get it far enough, it makes power. You push it a little bit further... And you can do cool medical research with it to help you cure cancer. Then at the end of that step is the bomb, which can blow up, you know, New York. So right now, Iran is in the middle grade. They're up to the point of the research level. 
and they've been working on tons of it. Now, technically, they actually have a legitimate reason for doing that. They have a little plant, they're trying to do research for cancer. The problem is that the research level nuclear fuel is like basically, from what I've been told by experts, something like 90% of the way to building, uh, or 80% of the way to the fuel you need for a bomb. In other words, they've already done an enormous amount of the work it takes to build a nuclear weapon all under legitimate uh, auspices. So as a result of that, technically in a year, according to both President Barack Obama and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, they could build a nuclear weapon if they chose to. Whether or not they've chosen to is another question of debate, but that is an issue that is definitely at hand. Um, one of the funny things about the research level stuff, that's all for a good purpose, quote-unquote, but the U.S. and the U.K. have both said, wait a minute, under normal conditions, you only need so much. You guys have, like, a whole lot more than that. What are you planning to do with that one? Well, they're actually getting a lot of different help from different places. They've gotten assistance from North Korea. Um, they have got... Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's another... <laughs> that's another part of the... Uh, another part of the world. Um, they work with North Korea. Basically, they've also gotten... Um, I think they've gotten some assistance as far as uh, getting uranium from uh, countries in South America. They've also... And I think Africa as well. They've also gotten, um, I think supposedly they've gotten some aid from the Pakistani nuclear guy, A.Q. Khan. He was like the nuclear scientist who developed their program, and he basically sort of sold how to do it to a whole bunch of bad people. Sam's things like that, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll build nukes for food. He holds up a little sign, stands in the street corner. Um, but the, um, the other thing about that is that the, uh, the Iranians have also... Um, they have quasi-assistance from other places. For example, the Russians helped them build a nuclear power plant, uh, which actually does not tie in directly to their program, um, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that is that they also get help from Russia and China in the negotiations, with the, which I mentioned earlier, because the U.S. and all of their friends are trying to make the Iranians stop, because we don't want them to get the bomb. That's going to be really bad. The problem is that Russia and China, um, for whatever reason and for their own personal reasons, kind of think it might be kind of cool if things are a bit of a mess. They love kind of tweaking the U.S. and their friends. So the Russians and the Chinese basically kind of play this little um, hot-cold game where they sometimes are helpful and sometimes are not helpful. Um, and as a result of that, it's basically dragged on for years talking. The Americans and their friend and the, and the group and the international community talk to Iran, and Iran talks back. Then they talk again, and Iran says they'll do this. And the West says, it's not enough, would you like you to do this too? And Iran says, well, well, we'll think about it, and we'll talk about you again later. And they've been doing this for years. In the meantime, <laughs> they've also been doing this too. Uh, one of the things that Iran does that you might not realize is they help sponsor terrorism all over the world. Um, and this is one of the things that really affects your safety directly. The United States actually accused Iran of working on a, a plot to kill the Saudi ambassador in Washington, D.C. Um, there are also r rumors and reports that they may have also been talking about targeting various embassies in D.C. Um, the Iranians support Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization in Lebanon. They provide them a lot of arms and aid. And Hezbollah has been accused of plotting and or carrying out terrorist attacks in Bulgaria, in South America, in other parts of Europe, Africa, Cyprus, India. Um, basically, they have their nefarious fingers all over the world. Really, really bad dudes. Yeah, Iran, um, in case you don't know, is a Muslim theocracy. 
one of those weird cases where they actually believe that God leads the country. Um, really, really bad when a, not, when a false God leads a country. Um, the, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> in, uh, in Iran, they're led by this sort of religious system. And, oh, by the way, their vision of the world is that at the end of time, there'll be a cataclysmic event and people as, like them that are as crazy as they are will end up basically taking over the world. So at the head of their little messiah figure who comes to fix everything. Um, those are the people working on nuclear weapons. A bit frightening. One thing you may not realize, actually, is that the Iranians have already developed missiles capable of hitting southern Europe. Um, they've also been working on a space program, quote-unquote. They launched a monkey into space, um, which, of course, is technology, whether or not it's directly related or not. Regardless, it's, um, it's helpful in the process of developing intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, which is named... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can hit a whole lot closer to home, literally. Okay. So if you can kind of do a little 3D thing with your feet and your hands, it's probably real helpful. Next time I'll do it on the screen. That would be even okay. cooler. But this time, just to, just to kind of clarify, um, if you were to think of the world in kind of a flat plane, you've got Iran way over here, and just a little over is Israel. These are, that's the Middle East area. America is like way over here, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, Southern Europe is right up here. We're talking Italy... Uh, we're talking areas like kind of the Yugoslavia type region, that kind of place. Um, you know, Great Britain's way up here, France is over here. That's kind of the general geography. So Iranian missiles currently can kind of hit right in this area. We're talking, yeah, like Georgia, Yugoslavia, that type of territory. Um, a little more research, a little more work. They could probably hit Germany or maybe Paris or London. Um, they're actually not that far away from being able to hit Moscow, ironically enough. Um, now, America's way over here, and that makes us seem awfully safe. But we have to remember two things. Number one, um, missile technology has already been developed that can go that far. We have it. Uh, anybody else could theoretically develop it. And almost as importantly, um, when you have a worldwide terror network like Iran does, um, maybe you can't wipe out a city, but a suitcase full of nuclear material can make a very unpleasant uh, attack, whether it was in a New York subway or whether, you know, football stadium or, you know, pick your target. So the point being is the Iranians, you may think, oh, they're way over there. That's not going to be a problem. But they have the resources to affect all the way over here. And that's why knowing what they're doing and knowing um, what America and others are trying to do to stop them is really important. Um, I'm going to kind of step aside. We've been talking about all the cool parts of the Middle East and how it affects you literally today. Your money, your safety, your government. Um, but I really want to hit here on what the news means in terms of your relationship with God. Because you may not realize this, but actually one of the really cool parts about the stuff happening in the Middle East today is that um, it's very much like a modern Esther story. Who can tell me one of the oddest features of the book of Esther? It doesn't mention God. Exactly. God's name is completely out of the book. For a book of the Bible, it's really weird. In fact, the rabbis even question whether or not at first it should be part of the Bible, but they decided it should be. Um, and the reason is because 
God's involvement in the book of Esther is all over the place. You know, they have a queen, Vashti, and she gets into a fight with the king, and so he kicks her out, and that sets up the whole stage for you know this little tiny Jewish girl to become queen of the, one of the most powerful empires in the entire planet and help save her people from another bad guy who wasn't even plotting anything at the time. So God's working years in advance in the book of Esther. Today, in the news, one of the things that was powerful about the book of Esther is that it showed us that we can see God's hand without having to actually see him literally. You just know he's working things out. And in the news today, you can see that as well. One of the best ways to see that is actually miracles. Now, I know that you may have some particularly um, conservative Episcopalian friends or whatever else who might tell you that miracles don't happen anymore. That was the age of the apostles, and this is something different. Um, but I'm here to say that miracles absolutely do happen. They just don't always happen in ways that you can identify them right away. Um, they're what a Jewish, the Jewish sages would call hidden miracles versus open ones. Um, here's an example. One of the coolest stories I heard when I was in Israel. A friend of mine uh, knew an Israeli family, and one of the men in the family uh, was in the, one of the wars in Lebanon fighting Hezbollah terrorists up there. And uh, they had the area, he was into Lebanon, and um, I, in, military intelligence told him it was a safe area. It's, it's dark, he's been out, I guess, for a while, so he kind of just kinda takes a break, kind of takes his pack off, pulls out a cigarette, and he's just kind of resting for a bit. When as his eyes kind of adjust more outside, he realizes that in the darkness, there's a Hezbollah terrorist in front of him. Before he can do anything, the guy pops up, pulls out his machine gun, and lays into the Israeli soldier. Every single bullet missed. The Hezbollah terrorist was so shocked at what just happened, he threw the gun down and ran off. The Israeli soldier, being a very well-trained and smart guy, ran over, picked up the gun, and shot the guy. But the point of the story is, that was a miracle. Now, you might look at it, they might say, well, you're not very well-trained, or the gun misfired, or whatever it might be. The point is, I see a miracle. I see God's hand helping his people. Um, in the South, over a uh, literally thousands of missiles, many of them kind of quasi-homemade, not that um, advanced by any means, have been fired as Israeli neighborhoods and towns in the south. Some of them blow up in the middle of nowhere. Some of them blow up next to the Palestinians because they have really bad aim. And some of them have hit things like cars, homes, um, a remarkably schools. A remarkably small number of people have died in this conflict. A um, couple examples that show God's intervention on behalf of his people. Um, there was a bus in, one of, in the war, one of the wars with Gaza um, that was driving along. Missile alarm goes off. Traditionally, everybody is supposed to stop the bus, get out, and go to the nearest shelter. Bus driver decided to break protocol, keep driving. Missile hit where they were. Flip side, another bus. Alarm goes off. This time, they're all parked. For, uh, I guess the bus hadn't gotten going yet. So everyone decides to get off the bus. Missile hits the back of the bus. I don't believe anybody was hurt. Certainly no one died. Um, those are examples of things where we're talking, you know, not that significant space. You're, you're shooting a rocket out of a mortar or something along those lines over here. Your aim is not all that good. It's amazing to watch as God ever so conveniently lets these things fall in places where they cause no harm. Um, another example, one of the tragedies actually was um, Hamas terrorist in Gaza fired an anti-tank missile at a Israeli school bus. 
um, you can only imagine the type of casualties that that would have uh, resulted in. One Israeli teenager was killed tragically in the attack, um, but what was incredible is the fact that all of the children that had been on the school bus had already been let go. They had already gotten off. Um, I mean, what could have been dozens of children murdered uh, was essentially avoided because of timing. So those are some things where you see God's hand at work. Um, there was a massive car bomb about five years ago in a uh, parking lot outside of a mall in Haifa. Uh, if you, some of you have been in Israel, you've actually been to Haifa. It's a town up in the north. Um, and the, essentially this car bomb, um, the explosives were double uh, double blasts, like a small little blast would go off and it would set off the larger bomb. Well, the small little blast went off, but for whatever reason, it didn't set off the car bomb. So basically, the car starts smoking for no apparent reason, and you know they send out sappers and whatever else, and they, they, they were able to um, clear the bomb. The Prime Minister of Israel at the time, who I don't believe was particularly religious, actually called it a miracle. Um... Another reason why the news in um, the Middle East is important for today and why it's good for you to know it is about issues like prophecy. Um, one of the things I really believe when it comes to prophecy is it's not, just, it's not about knowing the future. You know, obviously, uh, a lot of people try to sell the Bible code and all these cool things and you can know what's going to happen next year or whatever. That's not, not really God's plan. In fact, um, I, uh, I heard, I um, can't remember his last name right now, George, who came to speak at y'all's house, uh, he had a really good comment, essentially saying prophecy is, oh, sorry, Witten, yeah, George Witten said that the uh, prophecy is kind of best in twenty twenty hindsight. Um, you kind of look back and go, oh yeah, God said that would happen. Um, so in light of that, really the point of prophecy, I believe, is um, a whole lot more about seeing God working and going, God said that would happen. It's about reestablishing and reinforcing your faith and seeing that God said something would happen hundreds or even thousands of years ago, and it happens today, or happened yesterday. Um, one of the classic examples that many times I mentioned with Israel and, um, is, of course, the dry bones prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel sees all the dry bones of Israel, and God says, talk to them, tell the bones to come together. And miraculously, all these dry bones reform an a army of people, um, at which point God then tells Ezekiel to prophesy to uh, the wind to breathe spirit into, the, into these uh, former bones and they come alive. Um, this was literally, at least partially, fulfilled um, in, the out, in the outcoming of the Holocaust. We just got done with Holocaust Memorial Day in Israel, um, and next week, um, I believe, is going to be uh, Israeli Independence Day. So, um, the, from 1945, when World War II ended, and six million Jews, roughly, had been murdered. To just three years later, they had their own country for the first time in almost 2,000 years. It was nothing short of a miracle. And it was absolutely God intervening and showing that he still has his hand in events today. Um, one of the things that you may not know is that Israel just passed the 6 million mark in the number of Jews who currently live in Israel. So um, that means that literally the number more than the number of Jews who died in the Holocaust are currently Israeli citizens. That's pretty amazing. Um, so we see God doing what only he can do, and we're watching it happen right now. Um, another thing is, uh, Return of Exiles, uh, Jeremiah 23, verses 7 through 8. Does anybody have, can anyone pull that out quickly? Draw. <laughs> All right, go ahead, read, go ahead and read that one for us, Peter. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares 
where say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Now, I don't think this is completely fulfilled because we still have see literally millions of uh, Jewish exiles to this day. But we definitely see the first fruits of this project. I believe something like a million Jews came out of the North Country, like that verse talks about, um, out of the former Soviet Union uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed and returned to Israel. Um, even more incredible and fascinating is to see that the very element of that prophecy that says God will no longer be talked about as the God of the Exodus, but the God who brought his people out of Israel. It's fascinating to watch today and see how many Christian groups are talking about the return of Israel. Now, the same groups may or may not be talking as much about the Exodus. They may not be celebrating Passover, but they see this, and they go, whoa, that's cool. God said that would happen. Um, in fact, if you look at um, Christian-Jewish relations, it's kind of amazing to see how much they have blossomed since the state of Israel was restored. Uh, up until the middle of the 20th century, things weren't so good. In fact, um, uh, the Christian church had either a blind eye and or even some helping in the Holocaust. And then, incredibly, interestingly enough, after God started bringing his people back, all of a sudden, Christians started getting really, really curious about Jews, started talking with them more, and then sometime after the Jews took back Jerusalem in 1967, um, the interest also has expanded to starting to study the, Christ, the, the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. I don't think it's any coincidence that that is directly related or as follows the uh, recreation of the state of Israel. Another really big thing, and this is kind of a cool one, you may or may not know this one. Isaiah 49.20. Who can read Isaiah 49.20 besides Pete? He'd already got that one. Pete, pass your Bible next to you. Okay. Children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, the place is too near for me, make room for me to dwell in. Now, this prophecy is talking about people of Israel coming back, and they're talking about the land of Israel being, you know, desolate and whatever else. The, people of, the children of Israel, he says, it, they'll say, what's, what's, what, do, what do they say back to them? This place is too near for me, make room for me to dwell in. Make room for me. In other words... You're going to have so many of your people back in the land of Israel that they're going to be complaining there's not enough room for them. Now, um, the, what's incredible about right now is that recently, there was, um, about a year or so ago, there was a massive social movement in Israel over apartment prices. Israelis can't afford apartment prices because the value is skyrocketing. In fact, one of the biggest problems in Israel right now is space for people. It's not because they filled up every square inch of the country. The country's actually got a lot of open space. But it's because all the places people want to live, cities, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, pick one, um, are practically bursting at the seams. Now, it's incredible as far as apartments and things go. So we're literally watching that happen. Literally, the children, the younger generation in Israel, are complaining, saying, there's enough room for me here. I need some help with that. God said that would happen, and it is. Um, I also want to point out that you, some of you may have spent some time studying Israel and really kind of dig into the prophecies in Israel. What you may not realize is that the rest of the region actually plays quite a bit. Everyone knows about Babylon. Is Babylon really Babylon? Is it New York and whatever else? But I'm going to kick it over to another part of the um, another part of the region, and that's Syria. 
And Isaiah 17, um, I won't ask you to read that one. I, that one is, uh, specifically says that Damascus will be made a heap. Damascus will be made a ruin. Uh, it will cease to be a city. Pretty uh, nasty um, prophecy there. And what's going on right now is truly remarkable. Now, I'm not saying that what's happening right now in the news is actually fulfilling the prophecy at all. Um, I don't know for certain. I think we'll know probably in the next few years whether or not it is. But it definitely makes you wonder. It definitely is something you should be watching. Um, because right now, the European Union just said that they've, uh, they've heard reports that up to 70% of Syria has currently been destroyed by the Civil War. There are over a million refugees that have left Syria, not counting all the displaced persons inside the country. They've had over 70,000 people, a lot of, most of them civilians, that have been killed in the last two years. Um, and that's not counting all of the other types of things that could be going on down the road, um, as Syria, which is one of the world's largest stockpiles of chemical weapons, um, has been repeatedly kind of threatened and kind of even, um, there are even rumors they may have started using them to, uh, to try and stop the rebellion. I would have to say that a chemical weapon attack on their capital city would, could very well fulfill exactly what we're seeing in Isaiah. Yes, sir. Yeah, the border with Israel. Yeah. Yeah, and what's really fascinating about that particular story, I think that was from the UK's Guardian newspaper. They said that um, the troops, the, the essentially, they took they're kind of elite troops of sorts, um, and they were moving them to Damascus which means that the regime is obviously feeling a little bit threatened, a little bit concerned about the capital city and kind of how it's doing. Um, again, does it, is it what's happening in Isaiah? I don't know. I don't think we can know until it already happens. But one thing I think that it does raise questions about is um, watching, first and foremost. We're seeing God's hand at work. Secondly, I think there are things that we can be thinking about. If we know about what happens in Damascus, maybe that changes your equation on whether or not you think we should be giving humanitarian aid to the Syrians. Because you're thinking... That's going to be pretty awful. If that actually ends up happening, it might have been good to have you know, sent blankets and tents and whatnot. Um, on the other hand, you, know, you might be looking at it thinking something completely different. Wow, if they're going to do something crazy and stupid as that, I'll give them a penny because they're killing them each other. Whatever it might be, the point is we can be thinking ahead a little bit, um, kind of seeing the curve as it's coming to a degree. Actually, they're next door neighbors. Um, if you uh, are standing right here, are sitting right here in Matthews, North Carolina, just across the border is South Carolina. Well, that's pretty. That that would be Syria and Israel. They're literally right next to each other. They share the mountainous region known as the Golan Heights, which we mentioned earlier. Um, Damascus is is quite a bit north from where Israel is, though. So it's got a little bit of a distance. And Damascus is important because it's the capital of Syria. Um, Right, There's a, it's a large um, spike in t territory there. The Golan sticks way up, and then Syria is like a big flat plain.
for a long distance. Um, but yeah, the, the rebels, actually, that's been an important issue back and forth because there have been a lot of terrorists with links to Al-Qaeda that are helping the rebels, and the Israelis are a little like antsy about that. Same thing. It's a very ancient city, which is part of what makes the prophecy so interesting is because if you take it literally, as, as far as it, one way of looking at it, it says it ceases to be a city. That obviously hasn't happened yet. There are a whole slew of prophecies about Damascus that probably have happened, and about Syria in general. Um, but that particular one, I think, still sticks out as something that is yet to be fulfilled. Yeah, so um, pretty famous and important city, and that's why, I mean, that's, I mean, think about it, as much as Damascus has shown up as ancient as it is, um, a devastation to that degree is something that certainly stands out. It would be dramatic. Would be dramatic. Um, so we mentioned the possible ways that could happen. Um, one thing that I didn't mention here, uh, I talk about a little bit on my website, which I'll mention in a bit, Damascus is currently in the middle of a civil war. Um, there have been already concerns and, and ideas in the region that Damascus could sort of have a um, could split up into a whole slew of little mini countries, basically. Everyone kind of fighting, no one really is in charge. It's Syria, I'm sorry, Syria as a whole, which would leave Damascus, um, if it was destroyed in the conflict, if it was severely damaged in the fighting, definitely could sort of sit there as a pile of heap for a while, because nobody's in charge. Um, things going on. Egypt. Isaiah 19. Um, one of the things about Egypt that uh, people may not realize is that God actually has a very good plan for Egypt. Um, he actually prophesies in Isaiah chapter 19 that Egypt eventually will um, recognize him. He actually talks about Egypt as sort of like a um, stepchild of sorts, a younger brother to Israel. Um, and, but along the way, things get really rotten for the Egyptians. Um, it talks about, in Isaiah 19, about uh, a, a very... Yeah, <laughs> you've seen the movie. This is almost as bad, actually. Uh, funny you mentioned that one. Um, it talks about basically that uh, Egyptians fight against Egyptians. There's this, you know, very nasty ruler who sort of takes over for a little while. The Nile, like, practically dries up. There are all these horrible things happen to the farmers there. Uh, if you ever worn a shirt with Egyptian cotton, you know that you know that type of stuff is important. Cotton shows up in the prophecy. The cotton farmers are all upset. So the point is, like, Egypt goes through a very nasty stretch. Now, what's fascinating about the prophecy and why it's important to know a little bit about the prophecy and the news today um, is that about two years ago, um, Egypt had a rebellion against the dictator there. And a whole bunch of people got all excited. They're like, this is the prophecy. It's really going to happen. It's like the, the dictator was the evil ruler. He's getting up, thrown out. The people are kind of fighting each other. This looks so much like what's going on. Um, well, for one thing, nothing really happened to the Nile. So that whole part of the prophecy is kind of out of whack. But then uh, the, um, the other issue is that the leader of Egypt in the past is actually not as bad as the one they have now. Um, unfortunately, the Americans and others got all excited because they saw a rebellion and they thought, oh, this would be great. Democracy will spread to the Middle East. Yeah, the Arab Spring. We, we've had emergence 
of democracy in Muslim countries, it's like the fall of the Soviet Union all over again. Pretty soon, America will be like shaking hands in every capital in the Middle East. Unfortunately, they didn't count on is the fact that a lot of people in the Middle East um, are, are very Muslim. Surprise! Um, and on top of that, um, if they have the right to vote for who they want to lead them, guess who they're going to vote for? They're going to vote for Muslims. Um, in this particular case, the Muslim Brotherhood uh, launched their own political party. Um, the Muslim Brotherhood, for those of you who may not realize this, used to be a terrorist group. They're also essentially the offshoot to the Hamas terrorist group that fights Israel all the time. Um, the Muslim Brotherhood actually got in trouble, I believe, uh, trying to assassinate one of the former presidents Sadat. of Egypt. Sadat. They, they did, actually. Yeah, that, exactly. So it starts in Egypt, and right now they're actually leading Egypt. The current president of Egypt is a former um, high-ranking member of the Brotherhood. Um, he had to step out so that the Brotherhood wouldn't have the presidency, quote-unquote. It's kind of like Obama leaving the Democratic Party and pretending like the Democrat doesn't really run the White House. But you know, it, doesn't, it obviously doesn't work that way. Um, anyway, but the current guy... Um, so we got all excited. We thought, okay, the last dictator is leaving. Isaiah 19 is coming to pass. That was the bad dude. This is the good times. I think we may have possibly gotten it all wrong. I don't want to, at risk of repeating the last problem, I don't want to say the current leader is the, the one that we see there, but Isaiah 19 talks about a harsh ruler coming up. Right now, Egypt is being torn apart at the seams because people are constantly fighting each other. There's a huge mess of the government. The guy actually tried to kind of take over the judiciary, and then he kind of got some pushback, so then he kind of backed off a little bit. He's been, like, arresting people who are opposed to him. It's a mess. Basically, Isaiah 19's chaos that it describes, if nothing else, certainly looks like it may be happening in Egypt today. And it's, that's why I mentioned that knowing the news is helpful, because you might have gotten too excited before when you're talking about the last dictator leaving, without realizing that the next guy in line could be worse. The Wild West for terrorists. Quick map illustration again. Israel right here, nice long line. Um, the uh, you got the Red Sea at the bottom of Israel. The Sinai Peninsula is the link between Israel, essentially actually Gaza now, but essentially Israel, and Israel, both, um, and Egypt. So the Sinai Peninsula is a large swath of territory here, um, basically mostly desert, and it's currently controlled by Egypt. Um, and, well, it, <laughs> it's owned by Egypt. It's not very well controlled at the moment. And essentially, all of the bad dudes in there are pretty much being allowed to run rampant, do whatever they want. They've been blowing up gas pipelines to Israel and Jordan. They've been firing rockets at the Israelis on occasion. Um, the Sinai has been a very... Uh, wild region. So um, when Egypt's government changed, they had way too many problems to worry about in their capital of Cairo than to worry about what's happening in the middle of nowhere. Um, but as you can see, that has an effect everywhere. Quite a bit of places. Um, part of why I think that the knowing the news is helpful is, as we're looking at prophecies, does not necessarily mean that we're going to predict. We can't know for certain. But it does help us to think about it. It helps us to be ready. Help us to um, maybe think twice about whether or not we really, really want to help the people there for this or that. Or maybe it makes us want to think twice as much about it. 
You know, like I said before, maybe you're looking at it going, hey, if Damascus is going to get wiped out, I might think about donating to some organization that's helping the Syrian people there. Because that's going to be a pretty awful thing. There's no prophecy about Syria ceasing to be a country. It's just their capital. So maybe there's hope there. On the other hand, um, you might also be looking at it thinking, hey, you know, if chaos is happening in, parts of this, in areas of these parts of the world, you can also be realizing that you're seeing God's hand. You're seeing things that he said would happen in Isaiah. Isaiah was written like 2,700 years ago. The governments and countries that he was talking about of the same name were so far back. I mean, you know, people in Israel would have gone, oh yeah, I could see that happening then. Well, some of it did, some of it didn't, and, and now here we are talking about the same countries. Um, but God is predicting the whole thing all the way in advance. Um, and that's some, and as I think it's some points that are helpful to know and understand. Um, if you want to know more about the news, because the whole point of this whole thing has been encouraging you to study, to research, to think more, as you have time. Um, I have a couple websites I recommend before I get to my own. Um, I like the Jerusalem Post, jpost.com. It's a great website. Um, it's got kind of a more Americanized feel. Their website is kind of cluttery, to be honest with you, but they have good coverage. Ynet um, News is kind of an Israeli... Style news, um, not quite tabloidish. Stories are really short, um, but it also covers a lot of big stuff. If you're looking for a more conservative, sort of the Fox News of, uh, of Israel, that'd be Israel National News, or Arut Sheva is their Israeli name. Um, they do things from a very conservative, kind of right-wing perspective. Um, and I'll be happy to give you the PowerPoint presentation to put on the Minotaur website, so it'll have all these on that. Um, there were, I used to work for an organization called Bridges for Peace. It's a Christian organization based in Israel. They've also got a great news website. They cover several stories per day. They have uh, a magazine that they put out. Um, those are great places to learn. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm a male in charge of a household or wanting to be in charge of a household. I work enormous amounts of hours all day. I don't have time to sit in front of these news websites and check them every day to see what happened. Well, then I would recommend you could do you can look at what I do. What I do is I run a, a website called themideastupdate.com. Um, the Mideast Update, essentially, I'm doing the hard work for you. I'm reading the news. I'm kind of picking out some of the things I think is interesting, kind of help you sort of stay a little bit current with what's going on, at least the big picture stuff. Um, and I'm not just going off on my opinion because I think it's cool. I actually lived in Israel for two years. Um, I helped cover an election in Israel. I helped cover a war with Gaza. I've actually gone physically to the scene of terrorist attacks after they've happened. Um, I've interviewed people who have... Uh, I, I mean, I've actually been in the house of a guy who has got hit by a rocket in the south of Israel. Um, so my experience and my understanding of the region is, is a whole lot more than just I read the news. I have actually lived there. I know what it's like. I've seen the geography. I've talked to the people. Um, my website is not going to be your um, you know, constant ticker of every single piece of news that happens. It's much more highlight level. But the nice thing about that is that you don't have to sift through it. You're not going to have to try and dig through a pile of stuff to try and figure out what was important. Do I really care about the fact that the Israelis are talking about passing their budget or not? Does it matter? Um, also, one of the things that I'm doing that you might not find a whole lot of other places, um, I'm really focusing uh, on sort of the news in the Bible. I've got um, a new series I'm starting talking about prophecy, including more information on Syria, which we talked about earlier. Um, and a special thing I call the news drosh, where basically I take news events from today, um, and then I tie in a biblical principle, sort of like a, uh, an illustration of sorts using the news today. Um, I'm also, uh, one of the new things I've just started doing is audio 
uh, casts for the website. Real short, like two minutes or less, kind of recap the news from the week past, and also going to tell you why it matters to you. Um, not just going to tell you this happened, and this happened, and this happened, but this happened, and oh, by the way, you're giving money to that country. And this happened, and that could threaten your safety. And this happened, and your congressman would be a good person to talk to about that. The audio right now is actually free. I started kind of making that subscription thing, decided to back off from that, and I'm making that available to anyone who wants it. Um, some of my analysis and the, a lot of the Bible stuff um, is a subscription thing, but that costs two bucks a month. Um, if, you've been, if you buy gas, that's like roughly half a tank of gas, certainly a whole lot less, and I'm taking you all the way to the Middle East and back, which is pretty cool. I haven't gotten it set up yet. If any of you really techie guys would love to help me set up podcasting, I would love yeah, to do that. That would be uh, that would be the next step that I would love to do. So, yeah, absolutely. I live in America, and I'm more concerned about my president and the fact that most of my senators, congressmen, are pansies. <laughs> and are going to give away my my right to bear arms, probably my Third Amendment right to have quarter, uh, troops quartered in my home, which most people don't even think about. I'm really concerned about that. You ought to be concerned about that. And so I'm, I'm amazingly focused on what's going on in my own government because it's run amok. Sure. Now... I think it's a fairly good opportunity that our feministly strong culture is going to elect Mrs. Clinton as our next president. Write it down again. So you're you're encouraging me not to forsake biblical prophecy, the fact that America is not mentioned at all in any way in any biblical prophecy. And when it's all said and done, if I still have my block, it's the other side of the planet that counts when the Lord returns. Absolutely. And that for me to be plugged into that, I don't have to read as many sites as I'm reading now just to keep up with what the NRA is telling me every three hours. I can go to your website and get a compendium from a man who believes as I do and who studies the Scripture more than I do and understands prophecy and its relationship to messianic people in a way that I can trust. And I can do that for two bucks a month. Right. Are you kidding? That's it. He's a good salesman. Yeah, he's a good salesman. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. I did already. Um, yeah. <clears throat> in, in, in full disclosure, <clears throat> that is my father-in-law. Um, the, uh, but yeah, that's that's basically what I'm trying to do um, is kind of help help you get the, the highlights, help you get some general stuff. Will it be always breaking news? No, it's not going to be breaking news. I also have another job, by the way. But what it is going to be is it's going to give you kind of keep up. You can kind of get an idea of what's going on, um, in a, in, at least in a general sense. And you can be seeing kind of like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I remember um, as you're reading stuff, and as you know, I'm commenting on things, I'll try to explain kind of what it means so that it's not just... This politician gave a speech. It took 30 minutes, and he said a lot of the same stuff he said last time. What you may not have noticed is that he said one thing different, and that might actually be really important. What you didn't say is on the slide before is that some of the things from Bridges actually Bridges does. 
Bridges does use my stories. Um, one of the things, we have a great relationship. Um, I have not stolen from them as far as their, their business goes. They actually uh, uh, work with me on a kind of a royalty basis, and they pull a couple of my stories every now and again. I give them permission to use several every week. Um, and when they see one they really like, they put it up on their site too. So um, still have a great relationship with them. And I also, I mean, I like them. If you guys happen to be, like, on vacation and want to go on a Mideast News trip, I recommend all those websites from before. They're all really good, and there's a lot you can learn from them. Um, if you don't have that much time, you can check out mine. Christians and the Muslims 
was that kind of isolated? That's thing? in Egypt, by the way. Yeah. Was that was that kind of an isolated thing blown out of proportion by the media, or is it a boiling over no. of something that's happening under the surface? Well, I don't know exactly if it's boiling over. I don't know if I would say um, it's actually been going on for a long time. Coptic Christians in Egypt have long had issues. Um, Basically, it's a denomination of Christianity, um, kind of a Catholic element there, um, but not necessarily the same Catholic for, you know, that you're going to see in, in Rome. Something like that. These guys are um, Christians, Catholic-style Christians living in Egypt. So I don't know that how much you would necessarily agree with very many things that they have to say, but nonetheless, um, recently there have been a lot of issues going on there. Um, actually, a group that I don't particularly like most of the time, um, Amnesty International, which is a human rights organization, um, they oftentimes say very nasty things about people I actually like, so I don't really know, you know I don't really trust them. But they did actually go out of their way to have a report on Egypt recently when they said that they were quite concerned about the um, state of Christian Cop uh, Coptic Christians there. Um, particularly because basically what's happening is um, the, mu the Muslim or government isn't necessarily persecuting the Christians directly, but they aren't doing very much to stop it. So um, essentially what it allows is sort of a Muslim mafia to emerge, um, or mafia-style tactics, to intimidate the Christians, to attack their places of worship, to accuse them of doing things, you know, you converted this Muslim girl, now we're going to throw firebombs at your church, you know, those types of things. Um, and it's causing uh, quite a bit of havoc. In fact, a large part of the riots and fighting that have been happening in Egypt today are linked to some of this religious back and forth. But these are not Italian mafios. No, absolutely not. These are those, uh, these are the Muslim Egyptian version, kind of like you have the, the Egyptian Christians, we have the Egyptian mafia, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I don't know that I would necessarily say that it's, well, I, I, it probably is getting worse than it has been, um, for sure. Uh, but I guess my thing is, I wouldn't, I don't think it's new. It's been going on for a while. Um, it could blow up, though. I mean, the Christian cops don't seem to be too violent in response, so I don't, as much. Um, but the tensions in Egypt are really high right now. There's a lot, a lot of influx fighting, rioting, things like that, and people are actually dying in these in these riots. So it's it's not a pleasant thing right now to be in Egypt. Did that answer your question? That's some really, really good things I liked. Um, when you were breaking down the nuclear path, and you started over there, <laughs> Yeah. The Israelis uh, have a lot of analysts and think tank people on, on this one, obviously. Um, and they're quite cool to talk to. Thank you, Mr. Ruffin. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> right. And, uh, and it would definitely be, be great 
to have a map for every single one of those slides. Well, to be f well, highly recommend. Highly recommended is uh, living overseas. You learn the map really well when you're like, oh, I'm flying over something. Oh, that's cool. What's some little screens there? Okay, cool. learned something in the midst of all of that. It wasn't just a little flurry of locations you've never heard of and people you don't know about. Um, and that's why I kind of finished, like I have some questions back, not so much to ask you to answer right now, or somewhat rhetorical, but um, if you think about the Middle East, you know, what do you know about it? I mean, I hope that today you learned something new. You might be thinking, hmm, I had no idea I was giving five... I didn't know I was giving $500 million of my money to Syria. Do I like that fact? Um, now, where are you going? Are you finding your news somewhere? Are you talking to people who know what's going on? Um, and then what are you going to do about it? You know, are you going to learn something? Are you maybe, if you have the time and the, and the passion for it, are you going to look into donating to an organization or contacting your congressman? Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now that, that's important to your life. I, I speak for myself, but I'm highly interested in the two-minute audio podcast thing. Yeah. And I, I can't read <laughs> so learning how to do that, but basically, if you like, my suggestion would be to get that. You know, use whatever resources. I mean, I wish I knew how to do it. I would actually because I spend a lot of time in front of a computer, but I don't actually well, I read. But it's not like I don't have time to go do reading that stuff. Mm -hmm. like that. But I do listen to stuff. I listen to music while I'm working. I listen to these podcasts, um, other podcasts. You know, while I'm working. So that would be something that I would actually do every day. Right. Okay. The good thing about iTunes podcasts is it always comes up a link that you're trying to bump to your website. It's true. Yes, sir. Uh, I mean, I was I was just going to make a comment, which you know I, I'm sure is obvious, but I'll make it anyway. Um, that while it is certainly true, there's lots of stuff going on in our own country that we should. chess pieces on the entire global game board. 
opposite to his plan for that place. So if you aren't concerned, I mean, if, if, if as, as Torah observant believers, we have a natural affinity for Israel and for the Jewish people because of our connection with the Jewish Messiah and the Torah, right? But, and that's cool, that's obviously good, and it kind of comes natural, but but we need to be aware of what is going on. We need to be mindful. Uh, you guys should all be able to have a intelligent conversation with other people about what is happening. Mm. Because you all will be there one day, <laughs> whether you like it or not. So if you're going to be there, you might as well kind of Take it upon yourself to know what's going on. And the geography may not change between now and then, so learning the geography will be good. But, but the issues involved are important because what you will find is um, sometimes, what oftentimes happens is a specific headline will kind of burst forth on the scene and at work or other places you might be at school, um, people might be chatting about that. But they're going to have a very, very, very simplistic, very um, standardized commentary on what's going on. And, oh, you know, the, uh, more war in the Middle East and, man, why can't they all just get along? Well, if, if you've studied it, if you know a whole lot about it, you can say, well, they, they don't really get along because, well, most of the Arabs hate the Jews. That's, that's a big reason why. And you can talk about, you know, cognitively and, and intelligently about why um, a lot of the fighting there happens, things that we should know about what's going on. Um, because oftentimes it's amazing how fast Israel becomes a scapegoat in a lot of these discussions, and not just in the international forums, but in your workplace. Um, so I think... It's one thing that we can do even talking about the issue of Lashon Hara, evil speech. Um, it's good to stand up for the innocent. It's good to be able to say, hey, that's not a very fair way of looking at that. Have you thought about this? Did you know that, for example, that Gaza is led by a terrorist organization? They may not have any clue that that's the case. Probably not. Judaism, and who are uh, who have connected yourself to God's people, 
this isn't just about something in some kind of far off land that, you know, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Bite you right in the butt. And the question is, you know, we just, we just, you know, yesterday was Yom Hashua, right? We remember the brutal murder of six million Jews, not to mention the several million Gentiles that were killed as well. But here's, here's kind of a sobering thought. If the Gestapo started going door to door again, dragging out Jewish people, how are you? Are they going to look at you and think you're Jewish or, or not? Are you going to march off to the gas chambers with the rest of God's people or not? Okay, so I think, you, I think we need to realize that if we have attached ourselves to God's people, we've attached ourselves to God's people. And we need to, we need to be concerned with things that impact them because we are them and they are us. And whether you, you necessarily know the news in detail or not, you are actually commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, hopefully if you're praying throughout your Siddur, there's prayers repeatedly for the peace of Israel. Um, the end of the Amidah has an extensive section on that. Um, but that actually is a psalm, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it's a blessing for those who bless them um, and those who kind of keep their interest at heart. So that's another thing to be considering. sort of what's going on right now, I think it's helpful to know because those are your brothers. Whether you, whether you think about it that way or not, the Jewish people at large are your brothers. And right now, there are over six million of them living in the Middle East, dealing with the, the intensity it comes with in a, living in a region where everybody there basically hates you. Um, and th like I said before, there are miracles happening. There are things going on there that will blow your mind. And it is absolutely incredible to see what God's doing. Um, making the wilderness literally bloom. Um, I mean, you read the end of Deuteronomy, you see all the blessings and curses and all the stuff that God said would happen and then the stuff that he said would happen after that, it's happening. We literally had Mark Twain there being the outsider who said, who cares about this place? It's nothing. Like, what a wasteland. 
And then, less than well, roughly a hundred years later, there's Israel, rebuilding and flourishing. And that I mean, it's it's God's hand. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is either, but my, my, my concerns nationalities like that. My, my guess, though, is it's probably not going to be something good that prompts them to suddenly want to. Unfortunately, that's right. So, Although there's lots of oil now, or natural gas. There's money to be made in Israel. Oh, yeah, that's another, one of the really cool prophecies, just kicking this out there real quick. Um, there is a commentary in, or a, a quote um, that I think it's. One of the long blessings of Israel from either Jacob or Moses, I don't remember which one of them right now, and it does talk about like finding um, treasure in the sand um, and getting uh, treasure from the like the seas um, and the people the, the two tribes that it blesses is like if you kind of go out to the ocean from them that's where they just found a massive natural gas um, point. Which is funny because for years the Israelis always said, you know, we have nothing. God gave us, you know, the one part of the Middle East that doesn't have oil. Um, well, not quite that much. But they have a significant amount, a very significant amount. And actually right now there's a whole bunch of mess um, because the Lebanese wanted their, their chunk and the Turks are mad a little bit and they're saying, well, if you're going to send gas to Europe, you've got to come through us and, you know, all other stuff. So, But it's still kind of cool to see again God's hand. It's like, I mean, they're talking tiny little details, something that only a handful of really pretty radical people who studied the Bible ever thought meant anything. And all of a sudden, it's like a massive headline. But Noble Oil knew that's why they did it. Noble Oil read the prophecy and said, let's go to work. Which, by the way, I believe Noble Oil is based in Texas. Not to derail this awesome commentary, but I had a thought for the noob section, as it were. Okay. Um, I know like zero, like this much about how the Israeli government and politics work. Oh, okay. Joshua knows it all. Can, can I, actually, I, I think you would. Yeah. I know less than Brock. 
Well, as it turns out, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's been like three months since I last it up there, but I actually have an entire post on how the elections function in Israel. That would be at least a place to start. That one. <laughs> well, but, I mean, I think that would be if you already have the material, or at least have it in your head. I think that'd be really important to include in that section about mm-hmm. how you know the government works with the politics, the politic like arena is like. I know what it's like here. Yeah. Because I live in it, but I've never. The, the, it's in, in 2009, when I covered the elections there, I got a chance to like see a ballot booth. There were 20, like 27 parties running for office. Suffice it to say, it's a little bit different than it is here. How does that work? They actually have a party whose like main thing is to legalize marijuana. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's well, that they didn't win, by the way. Well, I just remember I was, I was talking to you. I forget what, what which, which which holiday it was, but we were, we were talking, and, and you were telling me about how you know the prime minister, the current one, he won the election, and now he has to pick his you know his cabinet. I was like, wait. Cabinet, like they have to like come together and form like a government. And if they don't, this group, if this group doesn't want to get in, get in, and you have to wait a couple weeks, they finally. Anyway, I was like really confused. (laughs) (laughs) So I went home and I did some more studying. I was even more confused. (laughs) There could be like addings to that. Sure. Substance, or a two-party, or a two-party country. You're either Democrat or you're Republican. Or your vote doesn't count. Or <laughs> <laughs> they've got, they've got 15, 20, you know, different. Probably more than that, but you know, at least parties that have a certain number of mandates. But uh, and whoever has the most mandates, you know, at the end of the day, has a lot of pull in how that coalition government is, is, is formed. So, but yeah, the the, the party the the party that um, um, Rabbi Gimpel is a part of. The um, basically for for la- for uh, the simplest thing, the way I can explain it is, um, if you've got a, uh, a a chamber of the board, a group of people, and um, they're all you know they all happen to have the same last name one of two last names, that's like America's political system. In the chamber of the board, you're going to vote with the McDowells, you're going to vote with the Housers. I mean, whatever, you know, it's two, two sides. If you've got, if you've got, a, if you've got a, a board, however, that's like really diverse and they're having to play, you know, politics and saying, well, hey, you know, I'll back your, your budget proposal on this one if you'll help me out with this, um, that's more like what Israeli politics is how it works. Basically, everyone's kind of fighting for themselves. And people who do better have more power, like the current prime minister is one of the lar- is the largest party, but they don't they're not big enough by themselves. They have to get help. So basically how our senators work, but they're more open. Yeah, kinda like. It's like instead of kind of like how ours was supposed to work. Yeah, it's kinda like it's kinda like the way Congress does technically work, except that um, yeah, it's actually out in the open. They say what they're planning to do when they get started. That I have not really gotten into. Um, I don't have a lot of contacts in there. Um, I have done some interviews and some things like that in the past when I worked for Bridges. Um, I don't know, I mean, if you think there'd be a particularly interesting market there, there might be some um, possibilities. I do know that um, 
one organization, uh, one I didn't put up there, um, Israel 21C is a really good job of publishing information on um, inventions and on like the environment and business um, in Israel, just as an extra thing for now, since that's not really something I really focus on. I don't know how much people here would be as focused on that. Although, I mean, I guess if there's a big enough market... It's pretty cool. It's really com also really big in the computer industry. Um, I believe Intel has a big plant out there, um, and there's other stuff going on there too. One of the biggest international defense contractors is an Israeli company. Yeah, yeah, Elbit does a bit a lot of cool things. I think they're the ones developing a uh, a camera that can see through walls, which is which is pretty cool. <laughs> heard about that one as well um, anyway so um, if you if you wanted to see any of the specific sites I got some stuff from that's just uh, that's my credits um, any other questions or comments or anything else you want to raise on this one this topic is near and dear to my heart I could talk about it for hours so if you have a question feel free to shoot if you're not I'm, I'm here <laughs> every Tuesday I'm always happy to talk um, so Absolutely. Yeah, I'm always trying to be careful what I say is fact. But, okay. I appreciate the feedback, definitely. Um, I know I've been speaking to several of the people in this room about things that I can be doing uh, with this. This is really my passion. It's something I really like. I, I, I think a lot about the Middle East. It has um, been a huge part of my life. Um, help me find my wife. Uh, she was uh, getting ready to go over to Israel and I got a chance to help her pl plan out her trip. Um, and then of course we talked for hours endlessly after she came back and I thought, wow, she's beautiful and we have Israel in common. So, um, the, uh, anyway, so I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm always available for commentary or, or discussion. All right, so the blessing of the rabbis leaving the study hall. When the rabbis of old take leave of each other at the study hall of Rabbi Ami, they would say one to the other, You shall see your world and your life, and your end shall be with the life of the world to come, and your hope for many generations. 
May your heart ponder and achieve understanding. May your mouth speak wisdom, and may your tongue bring forth song. May your eyelids look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah, and may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, and your kidneys rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the Ancient of Days.